This episode of the Badass Ladies Club is sponsored by Badass Retreats. It's time to make your healing a priority. Find out more at www.blcbadassretreats.com. Hello, badasses. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Badass Ladies Club. My name is Jessica. I'm here with Laurie and our friend Charlotte. Hey. Yay! Charlotte's back. Hey. Um, we have a lot to unpack today. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time to join us yet again. So make sure you are liking, rating, reviewing, liking, sharing. We're on all the social medias. You can find us there. And um, let's get right into it. Laurie, who's our badass of the week? Oh, my gosh. Badass of the week this week is my very good friend and inspiration of all things fun and exciting, Laura Tupker of Uproot Designs. Uh, Laura is a friend of mine that came to us through a coaching program that we joined in February. And one of my favorite things about Laura is that she is so free about what feels good to me right now. What do I want to do that's going to inspire me and make me feel awesome? And she does that. And she is, you know, Uproot Designs is kind of based out of this idea that Laura and her husband have been living out of their RV or their truck for over a year now, going to different state parks and trying to like decide where they want to put down some roots. Um, But Uproot Design was kind of born out of this idea that she is so good and artistic when it comes to stitching. She makes everything from like greeting cards to clothes to hats. And her, you know, like her medicine is that she works with people about their intention and she makes these beautiful artistic pieces that help you process whatever you're going through. And I have several of her pieces, a really cool t-shirt, a really cool hat. And it's not like it's the piece that it's what she puts into the piece that makes you feel like magic. You know, like this black v-neck tank or t-shirt that she made me is nothing remarkable as far as the actual t-shirt is concerned. It has a really beautiful organic design that she hand stitched on it. It has good vibes. But God, it (laughs) makes me feel so amazing. Like I put it on and if I'm having a bad day, it soothes me, you know? Mm -hmm. Like if I'm not feeling confident, it boosts me. Like it gives me all the vibes I need. Um, Same with my hat. Like Uproot is such a cool company because it is 100% the magic that Laura puts into it. And the act of her doing this stitching work is therapeutic for her. So like if she's having a bad day or she's having a low moment, making these pieces for other people is healing for her too. It is a beautiful, beautiful company. She is a beautiful human. I cannot wait to have her on the show. Also, just because she is so good at play. Like Laura gets the thing that we lose when we're adults, when we're like trying to be grown up and responsible Mm -hmm. and do all the right things, you know? And she's like, well, but when was the last time you played? Sat under a tree, went on a freaking walk, like got out in the sunshine and did something that you did not because you were going to get anything out of it besides feeling freaking awesome. And would you do more of that already? Like she's (laughs) just so good like that. She is the coolest. 
I love, love, love. She's uh, amazing. She's insane. Like, she cool. gives people permission to just be. That sounds right. like somebody I would love. Which we all need more of. Yes, so, more yes, of if people. you haven't followed Laura, go to at Uproot Design on Instagram. She's also on the Facebook and all the things. Uh, she's also a really amazing writer and has a beautiful blog um, that she turns out. It's, uh, she's just really uplifting to be around. So, Laura... We want you on this podcast. We'll get it set up. Yes, Laura. And can we talk about Charlotte 2.0 right now? Because back the photo babe herself. Um, (laughs) Charlotte is the mastermind behind, like basically all of our images. Well, our most recent ones. Yeah. Well, definitely our most recent ones. You guys are awesome. Y'all always rock it. Make it so easy. (laughs) There's too many photos to choose from. It's so cool, though, to, like, have a photographer that you can be like, so this is our vibe. Yeah. And then Charlotte's just like, bam, you know, (laughs) there you go. Even just now, we were taking some promo photos for this episode. And it's just so funny how, like, Charlotte holding an iPhone somehow manages to bring out the best in the looks that we're trying to get. It's so interesting. You're quick at it. Magic in the fingers. (laughs) My favorite is when people that are strangers are like, can you take a photo of us? And I'm like, I would love that. They just have no idea what you just did. I'm always like, I hope you like them. And they don't know anything. I never see them again. And they don't know you're a photographer. Yeah, right. Right. Like, like, damn, these are the best pictures. Be like, oh, what do you think about this graffiti? And here's <laughs> yeah. my card. Like, yeah. yeah. It's really cool. I'm always excited to take other people's photos. Oh, 100%. So cool. a lot has happened since you were on the show last. And if you guys haven't heard the first episode that we did with Charlotte. It was awesome. It One was, of our best episodes numbers wise. Oh, no doubt. Like more downloads. Yeah. On that one again this past week and I critiqued how I talked and (laughs) you know when you record yourself and you're like oh no I don't want to hear this it was very much that but also listening to it again I could hear difference in who I was um, between then and now yeah life will do that to you if it doesn't there's something wrong right you gotta change well life has happened life has really happened it was kind of (laughs) mean life wasn't kind to us yeah so one of the, my favorite things about our first episode is this perspective that you had as far as being a photographer about capturing a moment in time that you may never get back again, you know, like yep. that you never know what's going to happen. You literally don't. So taking the picture mm-hmm. and making the time mm-hmm. to document what things are like right now is so powerful. And you had really great examples of families where, you know, you had taken these photos and turns out they were beautiful moments in time that people cherished, you know, because yeah. life happened after that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's all they had left. It's all they had left. Mm -hmm. And then, like, seems like within a blink of an eye... It was my turn. Life happened to you. Yeah. So... It's real weird um, because it's always been something I really cared about and, like, valued without ever losing someone. And I still have never lost anyone super close to me, but I almost did. Yeah. And um, (laughs) it, it totally... It just... It made my perspective even more apparent. Like, I just, I really, I already valued it. And then whenever I experienced something for myself in such a strange way, um, it was more proof that 
I am exactly where I'm supposed to be doing exactly what I'm supposed to. Yeah. And I can't let that experience be in vain. So I'm, I really flip the script on myself to make sure that, wow, now I have a perspective of how to approach these situations even more cautiously. I thought I was doing it right before and come to find out oftentimes I was, and I'm proud of that, but wow, there's always room to grow. And, um, I get to, be in these really vulnerable places with these people. And sometimes it's not vulnerable. It's a fun day. And then at the end of the day, it's now the last thing they have of mm-hmm. someone they love. Um, and you just never know. You never know. And other times I photographed a family this past week or two. Um, they have a five-year-old that's going through some chemo and cancer treatments and it's a really hard road for them. And, um, because of my experience, that I had with my son and Marge, uh, it made them feel even safer to be able to come to me and, and, yeah. and document their life right now, because we don't know if she'll get better. We don't know yeah. if she won't. We don't know. We don't know. And that's exactly why we do it. Yeah. Talk about sacred ground. <laughs> you know, yeah, like I was about to say like such a sacred, almost like holy yes, situation. Um, and I mean, I've been in those situations before, but not to this level. And I had to work through my own vulnerability, you know, superpowers and, and actually just putting that into practice. Mm-hmm. Um, even before I could see how my life is kind of moving me toward more of that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, not everyone can be comfortable documenting things that are really delicate and they just, they don't know how, or they, they have so many feelings about it themselves. They can't detach enough to go in and, and take care of it. Um, some photographers, that is their whole heart and soul. And I really love to create art and do fun and make pretty and all that kind of stuff, of course. But I'm finding that some of my calling is is very much toward making sure that things are documented for someone else. I'm, I'm getting to give them something that is not replaceable. We can't get back. Right. I'm very honored to do that. I've been in weddings um, that I've gone to weddings that I photographed and the bride and groom only wanted them there for the vows. Mm. And of course they want it documented. So I'm there too. It's me and them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're having the most beautiful moment of just the two of them. I get to hear their vows when nobody else does. And it's a different, vulnerable, sweet, beautiful, humble place to be in. And I just act like I'm not there. And I tell them, don't worry about me. You feel what you feel. You don't worry about what's going on with me. You need to be focusing in on your person and let me document it the way it is. And they do. And it's beautiful. And there's tears every time, especially people that want to be private like that. Mm -hmm. And like, it's just another example of how I get to be let into these spaces. And I'm so, so humbled and honored by that because you have to trust that person. And not just because you want to make sure they're good images and stuff like that. You want to make sure that they're not going to ruin it. (laughs) Well, yeah. And in those sacred moments like that, you have to be kind of invisible Mm -hmm. because you don't want to miss it, you know, but people have to have their guard down, you know, like the vulnerability has to come up. I really like to meet with those people beforehand so that they get to know me and they're a little more comfortable and it makes it a little easier. But sometimes I just show up. I've never met any of them. (laughs) You're like, hey, "Hey guys, I'm about to be in your face all day long. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I I love it. I am very, I would not be happy if I couldn't do these things, especially since I've experienced them finding my purpose and the more I get 
into it, the more I realize this is very much my purpose. It makes sense that my gifts, talents, and abilities very much match up with my abilities um, to do these things for others. And it like kind of like who you're talking about, your badass of the week. Mm-hmm. That heals me as well. Me being able to create for someone else, even if I am not having a good day and I'm going to work, I'm like, I can separate it. And, you know, even if I'm doing with a breakup or something, I'll go see a couple and they're in love and it brings my heart full of like so much joy. I don't look right. You're not salty about it. I never am. Like it's not, it's not my turn. (laughs) That's it. It's their turn and I can appreciate it and I can uh, uh, like really love and what I see and, and like just can tell and it, it just it swells my heart like so big several sizes like the Grinch but not weird <laughs> I, I really I very much enjoy what I do and I want more people like to be able to come to me I, I know a lot of people have told me you know I would never have been able to do this photo shoot if it wasn't with you mm-hmm. and I'm like oh my god I've said that like yes. yeah like yeah, that's yes. totally yes. been my experience and yeah it always makes me feel so happy because I can allow people to be themselves mm-hmm. and they just instantly are comfortable most of the time that's the biggest thing I hear after a shoot is you made me feel comfortable and I'm like good there's no yeah. reason to be uncomfortable in this situation mm-hmm. um I, it is kind of a stressful thing sometimes taking photos, especially with the family, because you don't know how the kids are going to behave. Right. You can put Dan- all the dynamics are yeah. weird sometimes. Or like if he like they the husband and wife hate each other, whoever like it's not going to it's not awesome. When I can't fix that either. Right. There's some <laughs> vibes that come yeah, through. Right. Like, like yeah. I can't edit right. that. Oh, I've had that happen where I'm like, oh no, I can just see the disdain in their faces. Right. And it, but I'm still in that part of their life and. I appreciate it so much. And I want other people who are scared to be able to come to me if they feel like they want a safe space. And I think it's arrogant to assume you feel, make everyone feel safe, but it is my goal to at least attempt to create that for them. So I want to pedal back for a minute for some of our listeners that haven't been following your story, because One thing that I think makes you so relatable as a human being and a photographer is that you live your life so open, you know, like on your Instagram and on your TikTok and on, you know, like that for the world to see, you're pretty out there as far as this is what I'm going through. This is how I feel today. Sometimes that's light and airy and awesome. Sometimes it's dark and heavy and, you know, like intense. This is what you've got, right? And so in March, Mm -hmm. your 14-year-old had a massive stroke. He did. Pretty crazy stuff. Yeah. uh, Somewhat unexplainable. Like all the tests were run, all the reasons why something like that could happen were explored and there hasn't really been a solid, you know, like... We're coming up on six months this month on the 26th since it happened and we still don't have any idea what caused it. Right. And so... From the beginning, you know, like these photographing people in good times, photographing people in trying times, you know, like photographing people and then life happens and someone passes away or someone has a stroke or someone has cancer, you know, like you're living through this space of where you had Noah, Mm -hmm. your 14 year old Mm -hmm. pre-stroke. Yeah. And then you guys have been through so much in these last six months together. Oh man. Yeah. And now we also have this new 
beautiful, inspiring, amazing Noah, you know, like He's that's come out away. the other side. Yeah. He really has. Um, savage. <laughs> no doubt. Like he get it from his mama. Like, yeah, he really does. <laughs> like he, I, mm, man, he's just really impressed me with his tenacity. Yeah. His will to survive blew me away. Um, and so much of who I've become in the last three or four years, really doing a lot of that inner work had allowed me, I'm not going to say set me up for it to be successful, but I thought many times when we were at Cook's for 10 weeks, man, this would be different if I was who I used to be and how I used Mm -hmm. to think and how I used to feel and how I used to let it control me and how I was afraid to say anything or step on toes. And when he had this stroke, um, it was so big and so crazy. He lost the ability um, to move the right side of his body mm-hmm. and speak. So um, he also can't read or write anymore. He doesn't know some of his colors. Um, he's still very much Noah. Uh, he's got his whole personality and he remembers everyone. And he, I'm very grateful for that because I know sometimes people have strokes and they don't they don't know who they are, where they are, what planet it is or right. anything like that. So I was so grateful, like, cause he was in ICU for over a week. And since the stroke happened, I didn't know what was affected. And he wakes up and I'm like, oh, he's, he's Noah. Mm-hmm. We started playing his favorite music and he was going like this <laughs> in the hospital in ICU doing this. Aww. And I was like, my baby, he's here. I mean, the relief. Yeah. yeah. The, and, yeah. And, and he knew who I was and like, I'm really grateful for that kind of stuff. But the, the effects of the stroke were just so crazy. Um, and they told us he'd never move the right side or any of these fun things he is doing now. Um, But who I was would not have been able to handle it. Who I had become could. Um, I had to muster every single ounce of my being of who I am from the bottom of my toes to the top of my head (laughs) to be able to keep my head on straight to perform at this hospital because, you know, anytime you get into these situations, you know, you're being traumatized most of the time, or if you don't know, you're going to find out later because it'll haunt you. It always does. But, um, I knew I had to stay focused and do what was best for Noah. And I think so much of my ability to encourage and be there and root for him is a big part of what helped him stay earthside. Yeah. Um, there were many times he was, you know, intubated and could not talk, was on lots of medication to keep his body calm so that nothing else went haywire. And, um, you know, I, (laughs) it's crazy to watch and know that you cannot react because if you start acting the way you're feeling, uh, you'll be asked to leave. Right. You're like, I cannot lose my shit. I cannot lose my shit. Like I, I knew I had to keep my head screwed on straight because if I didn't, it was him who was going to suffer. Right. And I wasn't willing for, for that. He was already suffering. Why would I risk it? You know, and we were in a very delicate situation for weeks where we weren't sure if we were going to get to keep them. And uh, at one point, you know, they're screaming, like saying, we need a chaplain. We need a chaplain. I thought, oh my God, I don't know. I, my only guess is because it's about to not be good. And, you know, it, 
he he made it through that. But I'm sitting behind his head because I can't touch him. I don't know if you've ever had a sick kid or someone you loved that you couldn't hold, but I couldn't touch him. And so all I could do was say, you've got this, Noah. I know this is hard. You can do it. You're doing it. You're doing such a good job. And who I had become really helped fuel his ability. Um, and, you know, because of this, the speech being impaired, um, since the moment of the stroke, when we found him, he was not able to speak. So I wasn't sure if he could hear me. I wasn't sure if any of it even mattered, but I knew that it was all I could do and I was going to do everything I could do. So I did it. And I've asked him since and even if, just a few weeks ago, we were looking at pictures and I asked him, do you remember me rooting for you? Like, every single day for hours a day and to the, to the point of where I probably annoyed you. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I, he remembered that. Mm -hmm. And it meant a lot to him. He yeah. knew I loved him, but now he knows I love him. Like there is no doubt in his mind. Now, mm -hmm. when you go through something really hard with somebody, you know, I don't know if you have teenagers in your life, but they're not usually vulnerable. They're mm. really weird and <laughs> they really care a lot about what people think at that point. And they want to be cool and they don't want to talk to their mom and they don't want, but Noah went through some really embarrassing stuff and he had no choice. And I was the only one that could and deal with it, you know, and it really brought us closer because I really did become his voice. Well, I wanted to make sure that we talked about like that, obviously you have a bond with your children. Like that's not, you know, yeah, news, goes right? without saying, For sure. I would but hope. when you remove someone's ability to speak yeah, and to communicate like what they need, how they feel, what's happening, you know, like reassuring. Cause if you can imagine having a stroke and not being able to communicate these things, the frustration and the fear that has got to come with that. Yeah. He can't say what happened to me. It, Why am I right. Like this? Is this going to be okay? That I all he can. had was your bond mm -hmm. to reassure him, even though you couldn't touch him, yeah. even though you were sitting on what seemed to be the outside of mm -hmm. this circumstance, you can't break that kind of energetic bond, yeah. you know, and that that was a life raft for him, you know, to be able to hold on to that. And then when he did start to wake up, be able to, you know, like look around, take out the intubation, be able to eat on his own, you know, like all of these things, you were very much his voice because he could not speak. Yeah. And so to be able to communicate with him on truly like a telepathic, energetic level to tell the nurses, the doctors, the therapists, you know, like what he needed and where he was coming from. Anticipate his needs. What a gift. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. What a gift. It really was. I mean, there's a lot. There's so much frustration. And it's like playing charades um, a lot of times. But he he does a really good job of trying to communicate. And a lot of it I've, I've been able to understand and quicker when he gets with other family, even though they love him and have known him his whole life, it's still, they, they're basically not trained right, right. Um, for Noah. Mm -hmm. And so it's a lot of guessing, but I've gotten to the point with him now where we have spent so much time together, more time together in the last six months than ever mm -hmm. besides maybe when he was a baby. Mm -hmm. um, and, 
I just, I can look at him and be like, is this how you feel? And he can confirm or deny. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that I'm intuitive enough to be able to do that for him. I saw other parents in the hospital that couldn't keep their head on straight, couldn't communicate, couldn't do these things. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking that poor kid is going to suffer because they're suffering and like neither of us can fix this. And it made my heart really hurt, but it also made me really proud that I was able to do that for my son. Um, I don't care about much, but my babies, I will Mm -hmm. just mama bear. And I want to make sure that whatever Noah needs is going to be taken care of. He's been through something that most adults will never know what it's like. He even had a craniotomy to allow for the swelling. They took a big part of his bone out of his head. Like as soon as we got to the hospital off the ambulance and they said stroke alert, the the neurosurgeon came in and said, we're going to have to pop his head open or he's not going to make it the next couple of days. And I was like, well, I am against surgery and anything unnecessary, but this sounds necessary. So I instantly agree. We better do that. Let's go ahead and take care of it. I wasn't going to sit around and wait and hope that it would go away. I'm not stupid. (laughs) I know that it's going to happen, you know, and it's very much like if you, you hurt your ankle or your wrist or something, it, you know, when it happens, you're like, ow, but it's the next day that it becomes huge and big Mm -hmm. and scary. And when your brain does that and it has nowhere to go (laughs) much different than your wrist, or your ankle, um, it has to have the ability to breathe and to let it out. So they really, they just took a big part of it out, put it in the deep freeze. He, they put his, you know, scalp back on with staples. He's got a hook that starts here and goes all the way around. We, I told him to tell people it was a shark attack. <laughs> like I was like, make up something every time you were right. sailing and then you fell in, you fought this shark and then you came to safety, like whatever you want to do, just make it up. And his hair is growing back over it now. So you can't even really see it, but, um, he just, it was very crazy. Um, Hey, your kid had a stroke. We're going to pop his head open. Is that okay? Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, I guess we will. I guess we will. So we did that. And then we spent a couple of weeks in ICU because, well, when part of the bone is missing, you're very, very fragile. Top of the fact that the stroke has occurred. So there's lots of stuff going on. Um, and I, I had never really knew much about strokes or how they affected people and how they affect people differently. And this one was a hell of a stroke. Yeah. Very, very big. He still has a clot in his head. We can't do anything about it. It's too sensitive. Like it would probably just kill him if we tried to take it out. He's on baby aspirin every morning just to kind of keep the ebb and flow going to hopefully make sure that it doesn't go anywhere else. They searched his whole body to try to figure out where that came from and they don't know. No rips, no tears, even an endoscopy to look at his heart, everything. Mm-hmm. If you've ever had a sonogram, they they really did bring a sonogram machine in the ICU, search his body and looking, 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 everything. And MRIs and CAT scans and all sorts of stuff. And there's just, we, there's no explanation for it. And it's wild because he was playing football. He was a healthy kid. He had just had, um, a, you know, the physicals they make you do mm-hmm. before you start the new school year mm-hmm. to make sure you're good and we don't want to have any problems out here with you guys. He had one of those. No problem. Checked out. Never yeah. had blood pressure issues. Um, the kid eats sushi and salmon. I mean, <laughs> he eats other delicious food, but he doesn't really eat terrible. Um, he eats pretty good and he was kind of overweight, I guess, maybe. But dude is six foot four. He's a big kid. 
yeah, to say. Like, yeah. like, can we just talk about how tall your son yeah, he's is? Six four, and he's wearing a size seventeen shoe for a fourteen year old. For a like, yeah, he just turned fourteen. Yeah, in so July. it was thirteen, he was 13 when, he when this yeah, happened. Right. Oh my god. Yeah. It, I, wow. And having a man's like bigger than most men sized child at Cooks was very interesting. Yeah. Um, they had to order him a special bed because he would not oh, fit in big. any of the yeah. ICU beds. Not really? amazing one for two days we sat in there and they're like we're gonna order one it came in they moved him over and it was noah's bed normally in the hospital when you move you get a new bed Hmm. nope noah had to have bed goes with him yeah Yeah, totally nobody else can nobody in the hospital has a size bed uh they were having to run next door to harris downtown to get him socks because they yeah. had no socks that would fit him. Size 17, oh, like, yeah. come on. Oh like, because they have Things to have the I grip. didn't even think yeah, about. They had, wow. They, he needed the grippy ones on the bottom. Right. The, the hospital socks. Sure. And, oh, man. And some of it was kind of funny throughout their stay. When we moved over to the neuro unit, they, they were like, we have different beds. You can't just rely on the air bed. And so they tried to move him to a different kind of bed. <laughs> and they put an extension on the end that made it longer for his feet. And he would move up in it with his one foot that works and it would pop off the end <laughs> like, you know how you push yourself up in yeah. the hospital bed that's what he was trying to do and it popped right off and they they finally did get, get something to accommodate him right. i think they ended up just giving back his icu bed <laughs> right they didn't know what else to do with them but yeah he's he's a big boy my baby he's magic man his hands are so much bigger than mine like really giant and he's just a gentle giant he's so sweet a lot of the people that he was going to school with and the administrators um because he was in eighth grade in middle school and this year he's a freshman um but they were after the stroke happened they they were like oh my gosh we remember him he's so sweet he's such a good boy and like he's huge and so people get kind of because he's just so bit and he's broad shoulder mm-hmm. too like I, sometimes i look at him like i made that with my whole uterus like, like, how did i do that, that happen? i can't even believe i made that this is giant and yeah and the older he's getting the more and more it's happening and i think he's grown since we were in the like, in the hospital oh my god i agree how? like he just stands up sometimes yeah now he can stand. They told us he'd never use that right side of the body, and he's been going to therapy. Well, that's what I want to get back to, yeah. right? Like, let's talk about the he odds he's now. defying well, right, right now. Not only the odds he's defying, but, like, picturing how big he is and you being his caretaker. Yikes. Like, you don't have help come to your house like no, a caretaker come no, like I, i'm that i'm the caretaker now and he's just and you're how tall i'm only five six. Oh my god <laughs> right I'm okay five, five and a half i say five six but really i'm anti like little tiny next to him i'm a big girl but he still makes me look so small yeah. and i should have been weight training before this because i was physically having to put him in the vehicle mm-hmm. like he he can he couldn't when we left the hospital like he had just started to be able to even move the right side Uh and because of therapy and time and neuroplasticity we've been able he's been able to get it to where he can stand and he can move and he doesn't have a lot of range of motion in his right hand and he was right-handed so he's having to learn to write with his left hand now and do everything with his left hand and this dude compensates so quick even Mm. in the hospital the nurses and doctors were like oh my gosh He's just picking it up. Yeah. He just doesn't. He wants what he wants, and he will go get it, even with half of his body not working. And I'm like, well, he's mine. <laughs> yeah, right. That explains it. You yeah. haven't met Noah before. Yeah. If you're saying, yeah. That. And yeah. He, he's even more chilled than I am. But 
you took away his ability to talk like it, and it's all gone and there's other stuff he can't do, but he will find what he can do and he will do it. Even when he did some of his speech type uh, exercises and different placements that he had to put different stuff, he wouldn't really know why he was doing it, but he could copy it and he would understand it very quickly. And even the teacher at the, at the hospital, she says, oh my gosh, I can't believe he, like, I don't know if he knows that I don't know if he really knows it or if he just can figure out how to manipulate what he needs to get the answer. Mm. And so, and it was like that with a lot of things. And either way, that's amazing. You right. know, like it doesn't um, matter which one right. it is. Yeah. And, and so he's just, he's really a champ and I, he's going to have such a very unique perspective. Like when he yeah. goes back to high school, cause I think he will right now we're doing homebound learning. He'll be back in school. He will day. go yeah. back to school and these other kids are not going to have the wisdom that he has gained, you know, without his permission. But here we are. He's got wisdom. He used to play Call of Duty and say horrible things. Mm -hmm. Apparently that's normal. Mm -hmm. And I would always be like, Noah, stop saying stuff like that. Now he can't say anything. And we've had that discussion where when you get your voice back, you're going to think about what you're saying, aren't you? And he says, yes. Like, he's like, yeah, he nods and tells me, yeah. Like, Can we talk about the words he's saying I, I right wanna, now? I want to like, talk about the words he's saying <laughs> he's, because it's the best. He, um, I want to say his vocabulary is probably around a dozen words, which is great because even a couple of months ago, we only got a couple, like maybe one or two words and it was not. And at the time of the stroke, they said he'd never speak he, again. Yeah. yeah, they do. You know, yeah. And um, he, um, he learned no, really, <laughs> of course. Yeah, just like a toddler. Um, just nope. And he, when he first woke up, all he could say is ooh, 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 ooh. It was just like if he needed something, he'd say ooh. So now it, it's very different. He's come such a long way. Uh, I can ask him a question. He'll say yeah or yep. And and the, it seems like in the last couple of weeks, it's even more so. But uh, every time I would hand him something, the last two weeks. Uh, he would he would try to say thank you, and his determination is uncanny because uh, I I really didn't expect him to be this way. This is a kid that would pass his classes, but bare minimum. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to do the work. He wants to go play. Yeah. And I'm that way. I was that. Way. I went. I graduated high school just fine. I didn't want to do any of my work. I did what I had to do so Same. I didn't have to. And some grades were great and some weren't because and it, I should have tried harder. But he's a 14 year old boy and he wants to play. And so I just didn't see him working as hard as he has. And he comes up to, you know, if he asks for something, I'll, I'll give it to him and he'll look at me and he wants me to, to show him with my mouth and, and enunciate the word. Thank you. After two weeks of that and him trying and have different variations of it, he can very clearly say thank you. And in the hospital, the, mo the most endearing thing I would get out of him after the first month or two was, which is his version of, I love you. Yeah. And I, it's like, I know what he means. It's not the same, but I'll take it. And eventually he'll say it. Yeah. And he, he says, I know, um, he's a teenager and that's a very coin teenager term. And he also learned to say, fuck you. <laughs> So, My favorite. Uh, I mean, priorities, right? Like, I you know what? When kid can't talk. It's like you, I'll yes, anything you take say. it. I told him in the hospital. I said, I don't care what you say. Like, I, say I, I really was in his room one day going, Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and 
he really wanted to say it, man. And if you've been through something like that, that's probably a word you might want to yell. Yeah. Right. Especially when you can't talk. Right. So getting that out was really, he's so proud of himself. <laughs> with the, some of the effect of the stroke um, with the language center that's so damaged for him is automatic words because he did have a full language. Like he was very normal, but like healthy before that. So he's always, he's never had any speech issues. Um, so he knows them and his inner dialogue is the same. He'll think I want cheesecake or whatever. And, but he can't say it mm-hmm. and it'll come out, you know, and sometimes he'll do that and he'll trip up on words. And the other day we did ABCs and it was a B and then fuck and then D and then, <laughs> you know, and, um, I've kind of warned his homebound teacher that you might get some automatic fuck yeah. yous yeah. and <laughs> don't take it personally. Like, like yeah, she's worked with stroke victims. <laughs> so it, I'm like... hoping she's okay with it all. But yeah, he's, I'm really proud of him and he's very proud of that. Like he, mm-hmm. it gave him a little bit of his power back Yeah, because I think that saying fuck you to people is a very important life skill. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Maybe it is. And now he's going to really he, have it. When he's angry, fuck you. And he started saying duh this week, too. I love it. Tells his 10-year-old sister, duh. duh. <laughs> but yeah, That's great. He's got a lot of words going, and he's just going to get more. And I I really, like, I see into his future. I see him walking across the stage in high school, you know, graduating with a diploma like everybody else. Um, I've had doctors tell me, well, I don't know about that. And, well, he's never going to be the same. And I'm like, he's still the same. He just can't do what he yes. was and say what he was. But he can regain a lot of it and he can turn into somebody else. And who's the same? No, who, hope, what right? human is the Toy same, you know, like everybody like, changes. Yeah. This the, is, yeah. Your people and I've had a yeah. relationship with it. I'm the same person. Yeah. I'm like, that's the problem. Oops. Like that's, that's the problem. Yeah. You're not progressing. You're not growing. And this is, this situation has forced him into a place at a really young age to learn a lot of things about life mm-hmm. and, you know, relationships and vulnerability. He had no choice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, we had toileting issues where no 13 year old boy wants their mom in the room for things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he didn't get a choice and he just had to suck it up. And a lot of things that would be absolutely mortifying just on a non-scary level, he had to deal with on top of it was really scary. Yeah. And when he started to wake up and he could see himself and he would, could feel the yeah. scar. I mean, it was, that was the, one of the first things when he woke up, he wanted to touch it. Like what had happened to me? Mm-hmm. And we didn't really tell him up front, Hey, you had a stroke. Yeah. Um, we kind of just eased into it and he heard people talking. And so one day I sat down with him in the hospital and was like, this is what it is. And this is what happened. And you didn't do anything wrong and you could not have fixed this. It is not your fault. You don't deserve this, but you will make it. I told him, I said, I taught you to walk and talk one time. I'm going to do it again. You can do it again. Yeah. And he's like, okay, okay, we can do this. And without my support, being able to be who I've become, I don't know where he would be and I don't want to take credit because so much of it is him, but I know that the support you get in a situation that's very crisis oriented is very important. Um, I learned a lot of that with like having babies and C-sections and birth trauma and not having a lot of support and then having a best friend now who's a doula and learning how much preventative 
you know, work they really do to help support your person to mm-hmm. reduce the trauma. And I couldn't fix a lot of things that were going on with him and his body at that time, but I could make sure that in his mind and in his heart, he knew he had support. He knew he was loved and he knew we weren't giving up on him because as soon as you start telling yourself all of these horrible things, I really think that what you talk to yourself about in your inner dialogue becomes how it is. Mm -hmm. And if you're just always, oh, it's not worth it and I want to die and I'm in this situation where I could and I'm not, it's not worth fighting for. No one loves me. No one cares about me. Those thoughts are types of thoughts that kill people quicker than whatever happened to their body. And it's so important to um, support people who are in these situations because it really creates a whole nother layer of depression and like why you have a lot of questions and it's not fair. And like, you know, I don't understand. It's so confusing why these types of things would happen. And we, we joke around a lot about a lot of stuff, but we also have heart to hearts where we t- I, I tell them at least once a month, this isn't your fault and you're doing so well. You, you have blown my mind. I'm so incredibly proud of you. I tell them that all the time. And before this, I wasn't very good about telling my kids how proud I was of them. I don't know why it's a vulnerability thing for me. Um, it's easier for everyone to complain or bitch at people than it is to say nice things. And I don't know why, but sometimes as parents, we don't do a very good job of, of telling our kids what we think about them. I can think all day, wow, I'm proud of her. I love that about this. And I don't tell them, but this situation has made me really work hard at, at hugging them and telling them, I'm so proud of you. And this is what you're doing right. And not just being the parent that's always telling you you're doing wrong because it is our job to tell them when they're doing wrong. But Mm -hmm. when you don't reinforce it with more positive, then it weighs on them. And I, I don't want any more weight on him. I want to take whatever I can and carry it for him. And there's been situations where that's not possible. He had to do it. And then there's situations where I saw it come in, I nabbed it up and took care of it myself. Like anything I can do to keep this from being worse is my job right now. Um, and then getting him better. And he's just, holy shit. He's, he's amazing. He I really, really is. Really and can we away. just say like, if I woke up in his situation at 13, I don't even think I knew what a stroke was at no. 13. I don't think he did either. Yeah. And now he knows. <laughs> like, Hell yeah, he knows. Yeah, but I wasn't really sure about how all of it either. scary that would be from his perspective. Because yeah. I, I don't think I knew. I... I'm 34 and I still don't know the inner workings of a stroke like you do, obviously. I I wish I didn't, but yeah, before this, I had no idea. Like when he had the stroke, I didn't know he was having a stroke. Like you don't look at a 14 year old and go, oh, it's definitely a stroke. Yeah. Who does that? Nobody knew what was happening. Who do you know that has a 13 year old who's had one? Because I'd like to meet them. Well, it's so rare. It's so rare. And one thing that I think is super remarkable about this whole process is that from the moment that you realized what was happening, because this is who you are, you were documenting this process, okay? Yes. So that there are videos, there are images, you know, of and everything from the ambulance ride to the those hospital. Those people who came after you. Well, now I want to talk about that, that too, uh, because that is, like, because uh, this is who you are <laughs> and this is what you do, right? How, I want to start with how powerful it's been for Noah so. to see 
where he was because when he was unconscious, like obviously he didn't get to see from the outside looking in what was going on with his body and everything that happened in order to get him through that really delicate time. Right. So what's it meant for him to see how far he's come? kind of hated it at first. Yeah. But now that it's been long enough to be able to compare, he really He's not in a place yet where he loves it. He, it makes him feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. Mm-hmm. And he, he struggles. I know with, just cause I can see it on his face when he sees pictures of him before the stroke. Cause mm-hmm. he's like, that, that was me. I'm, that's me. I'm, I'm this now. And whatever probably inner dialogue he's got going on. Cause he can't tell me. I can't like, like they, they've, they've set up mental health care appointments for him and he doesn't talk to him. Like he doesn't even want to respond. He doesn't want to talk. He doesn't want to deal with it. He doesn't want to hear you. You don't, he just know to that, but he will see these in the next couple of years. Like when he is walking fully by himself, Mm -hmm. because I believe he will, when he does have a vocabulary that is more normal Mm -hmm. and can converse with people on a regular, you know, basis, then he'll be able to look and say, holy shit, I'm amazing. Mm -hmm. I did this. I worked my ass off. And the way it's been working in the last couple of months, because he's been making such big leaps and bounds is I'll, when he starts to do something new, like, thank you, I'll pull up a video and say, look at you. And this is all you could do. Or he's like, my hair's growing back. Kind of, mm-hmm. He's like, mom, look, kind of a thing. And I'll show him other pictures, not every time, but every now and then I'll say, look how far you've come. And it makes him emotional, but also very proud. Right. And I think over time they'll become more precious. And yeah, I, I documented, I didn't know what was going on with him. I knew something was really wrong, but a stroke was not what I had in my head. I just thought, oh my gosh, we have to go figure out what's wrong with him. Maybe he's having a seizure or something. There's no telling. And then whenever we they called stroke alert at Cooks when we arrived, I thought, I said stroke alert. And the lady said, yeah, it's just a precaution. And then they came back and they said, this is a giant stroke. And I said, great. But I documented us leaving in like with the ambulance, him getting rolled out there. And I had flack from people, you know, about why would you post this? Well, first of all, if you don't like it, go away. Um, second of all, it may be offensive to you because it hurts your feeling to watch, but how do you think I fucking feel? And so just, man, um, it's just, it's a part of it and it tells a story and I didn't know where this was going in those moments, but that's the cool thing about documentation is you don't know. A lot of things become good and informational and even just priceless after a while Mm -hmm. and him rolling out in that ambulance. No, that's not priceless and beautiful and whatever. Of course not, but it is a part of his process. And I took videos of him all like not a very many. I only have like two or three because I didn't want to document it. Right. Even who I am. I was like, I, this is, this sucks. Like I, I want to document. And so I did even some sort of against my own will, um, just because, just because, because I felt like it needed to be documented. This is our journey. I don't know where we're going, but this is where we are. And I'm so, so grateful now that I have a lot of that because like you said, his perspective, when he was on the inside of it, he doesn't know what it looks like and how terrifying would it be to be able to float above your body and see you in ICU all messed up? Like Mm -hmm. that would be even crazy, more trauma. Like it's different when you're feeling it and dealing with it and it's terrible. But when you see it, it's like, oh, 
And whether or not any of that stuff ever saw the light of day. You know, yeah, like me. that, yeah, that you process things. That is how I process In things. a really yeah. different way because that's your art, you know, yeah. like that's how you move through life. Yeah. And, and that's um, been your medicine that you've given to other people yes. and you can give it to yourself. And I knew it would be his medicine too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's proof. Yeah. Uh, proof of what it was and where we were and then also where we are. Like I, I don't need to prove anything to anybody, but there's, there's something about the way I process things whenever I can look back at it. Um, and I know that it's probably similar for Noah. We've had these talks and I can tell it is similar for him. He, he can see where he was and, and think to himself, Oh my gosh, I've come so far. Mm -hmm. And I, I relate it to weight loss for myself. You know, if you go to the gym for six months and you eat perfect and you do all the things to lose weight and you know, your clothes are fitting different, but, and you run into the mirror and you're like, I guess I look different. And then when you see a photo of yourself from that six months before your brain goes, Oh my gosh, now I see it. Wow. It's Mm -hmm. mind blowing. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm biggest loser. I used to watch all the time. They'd always put the big picture in the little Mm -hmm. picture. Right. Because you have to see them next to each other Mm -hmm. in order to be able to fully appreciate how hard this person has worked in that situation, you know? And, um, it's kind of similar if I don't have those photos of him before because, it, you know, when you're in those places, it's icky feeling and I don't feel good about myself. I don't want to be photographed. Yeah, it was the same vibes there. Mm-hmm. This isn't a great thing. This isn't perfect. This isn't beautiful. This isn't lovely. But it just is and it's worthy. And so once I have those, you know, in the moment of not awesomeness, now that he's getting better, you can put them next to each other and say, whoa, even when we went to a doctor's appointment, he had with the doctor that was there immediately as soon as he came into the hospital. So she was with him the whole time he was there. She hadn't seen him in three months. And she, I thought she was going to cry. She says, oh my gosh, he looks so good. He looks amazing. Yeah. She's, you know, and she's dealing with other kids and, you know, whoever who've had strokes and they didn't, they had the same terrible prognosis of, you know, as Noah, but that maybe they're not, I don't know what she looks at all day. I just know that her reaction told me, wow, he has come so far. And I know that because I have what it was then. And also I was being traumatized watching my kid, you know, hang on for dear life. And I've like, trauma is weird. It stores in your brain Mm. and sometimes you'll end up having flashbacks of stuff later that got put away for your own safety and the ability to fight and be able to be present. And I, um, I, I hate looking at those photos, but I also, they are healing in the future. They are now. Whereas when we were still in the hospital, even looking at him, like when he got out of all that stuff and he started eating on his own and we took the feeding tube out that is very different than when he was in ICU hooked up to every living thing that was in there. And so that was still a hard time for me to look. And I know that people who've lost loved ones that I've photographed, they cherish the photos so, so, so much. They're precious. They're Mm -hmm. just amazing. That's what, that's all they have. Mm -hmm. And, um, but sometimes it's really hard to look at them because, you don't have it and it just makes you sad, but also this is all you have left. And what's sadder than that is having nothing. 
And so that's the power of documentation. And I just, I even brought my camera up to the hospital one time and there were people that took really good care of him that really latched onto him and encouraged him. Not everybody, but there were two or three that since the day he got there into neuro rehab, just loved on him. And I made sure to document him with those people because of privacy Mm -hmm. and medical stuff. We can't just be their friend, right? you know, and we can't just say, Hey, we're doing good. And I don't want to be creepy and they don't want to be creepy and fall, you know, and be weird and how, you know, but I know those people will not, will not forget him and he may not remember them and he needs to see this person took good care of you. And that was important. This person spoke these words over you. And that was important. There was a yoga instructor there who I posted a TikTok of it. She would talk to him and she's like, you don't let anybody tell you that you can't do something. She was just so encouraging to him. And he, in that moment, I knew how special it was, but he didn't really get it. But I can show him that now and it might resonate with him different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just an average day at the hospital, but I knew what she was saying was powerful. And I made sure to document that part of it for him. And it was still a miserable time and he still wasn't happy and things were still hard. But those those are so precious now because, you know, I'll be able to pull it out and say, do you remember this person? And this person really cared about you. I have a weird fantasy where I go up there and I invite them all to his high school graduation so they can watch him walk across the stage. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because these people made such a difference in his life and, and I'm very grateful for them. And it, it means so much kind of like we talked about with the mental health aspect of it. If you're surrounded by caretakers who are not really, interested in your mental health they just you know whatever they did have to do physically and then they leave you you know right miserable humans you know that kind of stuff can affect your ability to heal and or make it worse like harder you know and i i love that i have those photos of him in the hospital and i can give those to him one day he's he's gonna get better and he's gonna have a family probably or have whatever. And he'll be able to say, this is my story and this is what happened to me. And, um, my mom, she's crazy and she documented it all. <laughs> so we've and, got photos of the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, and yeah. I, I want him to have that. It's not, it is for me and it is healing, but it's for him and his story. And I've known since the beginning of this, that this is not about me. I'm just the vessel to keep it all going. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to have a story. He's going to get to make a difference in people's lives that maybe they wouldn't have listened to otherwise. He has an opinion that's so unique now and so different. And um, the wisdom, oh man, wisdom is something you usually don't gain until you're quite a bit older, especially as a boy. <laughs> but he, he's going to have, like, he he knows stuff now. And this is, it's horrible, but if you don't look at it that way, then it's almost like it's in vain and it's more depressing. So you got to figure out what your new superpowers are. Right. And you got to figure out how to harness what it is that you've been given to work with Mm -hmm. and how you can help yourself. And then that process, you can help someone else. And then the vein just it just leaves even more. So, Well, and all humans are faced with massive struggle yeah. at several points in their life, right? <laughs> but so much of what's happened with your family, there are people who have these terrible things happen and it's crushing and it breaks them. This has not crushed or broken 
your family, you know, like if anything, it's just proven and shown the strength that, you know, can rise up out of these circumstances, you know, Um, the fact that like you've mentioned his sisters briefly, but like He's not your only kid. No. You also have other there's children. Two yeah. There's two I'm done, more. I swear, I figured out what causes it. Um, they're 10 and, and 7, and they were there yeah. when the stroke happened. Yeah. And they were very traumatized. And I, like, them and their dad were all just crying. And I was I was the one going, get this on, get this on, do this, do this. Mm-hmm. I'm great when it comes to oh, terrible adrenaline. Things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I don't even I don't know why, but some people are really good in, in, in crisis. crisis right? Yeah, I am one of those people mm-hmm. um, and I can be really chill and, and I got my head on straight and everything's going really well. And every, I know exactly what to do as soon as it hits me later, like when we got to the hospital and they started taking him in to do all these things, I went outside and lost it. Of course. Yeah. But in that and then I had to fix it go back in and be mom and do be and there were times especially in those days that we weren't sure if we were going to get to keep him or not that they would be asking me mom what do you think about this or we need an answer and I would just stare I would stare into space because I was I knew I was being traumatized I was looking at my kid hooked up to all this stuff and I I was just like ah I've never seen such a thing Um, the most traumatic thing I've ever really dealt with was my three c-sections and some of them were really crazy but it was my, it was me. Mm -hmm. And it's so different whenever it's your kid or your parent or your spouse, someone that you would die for because you can't trade them places and you can't fix it. So I had to just muster all of that and, and, and perform and go and do so that he could get what he needed. And I had to snap out of it because he needed it. And that's what we do, especially as mothers. Um, we do what we have to do. Very much like in childbirth, a lot of them. I've never had a baby. I've only had C-sections, but I know the process and a lot of it is inner determination. Mm-hmm. And I hear from my best friend who's a doula that so many of them get to that point where it's almost time to have this baby and they start saying things like, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I give up. And they always have that baby. Mm-hmm. And they do. Mm-hmm. They always do. It doesn't matter how they got here, but they they did it. They did it. They did it. And, um, it's, it's one of, it's the same kind of thing, but it's different because it's not my determination for me is my determination for him. And that weighs on him and what he's capable of doing and not being able to speak or really react and being in that situation in the ICU where I didn't know if he could hear me or understand me. Um, I didn't care. I know I annoyed some nurses because I would not shut up about, you know, just cheering for him. Anytime I came in the room and at this point I hadn't seen him open his eyes or talk to him at all, I would say, I'm here. I came back. I just got coffee. Or if I'm leaving, I'm like, I'm not leaving. I'm not. And I really didn't leave the property for four weeks. I could not leave him there. And with COVID, we couldn't have his sisters come and visit mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. And COVID really put a damper on what type of support we could Sure. Have. It's a whole new yeah. experience. Nobody without, was allowed yeah. to visit him. Mm-hmm. And I had never stayed in the hospital that length of time before to the point of where I felt imprisoned. And he couldn't leave. He, find, he had to wait weeks to even get to a point where he could go outside. Yeah. Uh, on property mm-hmm. and can I don't know if you even prisoners get to go outside sometimes right yeah and he couldn't and you know, I remember him coming outside and it would be raining and he'd go he'd smell the air mm-hmm. and he'd look around and it was like it rained for the first time for him and those are the types of things that 
a 13-year-old boy doesn't care about. It rains all the time. Mm -hmm. But whenever you have experienced something like that, everything's precious. Yes. And he he really does value simple, beautiful things more than he did. And, yeah, he can't really tell me yet how he feels. And he's probably not going to just mush over and go, oh, I feel this way. But I know his inner dialogue. Mm -hmm. He thinks about that kind of stuff. It's all over his face. And I... I love that. That's some of the most beautiful. It's the wisdom that you're talking about that he has, you know, like. Almost like you were talking about with your badass of the week. Just simple. Play. Mm -hmm. Let yourself. What it means to be. Life is short and you don't know when it's over. And it could be the last time. And he knows what that feels like now. Whereas there's so many assholes that are 14 and 50. Like, I mean, there's, there's 40 year old people that don't get this. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. And so for him to grasp that, how precious life is at this age, it, it is going to build his wisdom and his ability to, to help people. And he does have authority in his voice, even when he like, he can't really speak now, but he has a deep voice. Mm-hmm. And if he wants something, he'll go, no, mm-hmm. he'll get really <laughs> he'll, deep. Yeah. He'll push it. And yeah. He'll, yeah. And, and, you know, anytime animals were ever around Noah, they, he's like Snow White. They just come up to him <laughs> and he's like, hello and hello. And I've had animals bark at me and go crazy. And he says no. And they're like, yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Get it, yeah. So who knows when he gets his voice Aww. completely back and he can actually say things what kind of amazing stuff he's going to come up with. Um, and I'm excited to see it. It's been yeah. terrible, but it could be so much worse. So yes. speaking of support and speaking, let's move into what to say and what not to say when someone is going through something like this. Cause we took some notes on this talking about it and you know, it's so hard when somebody that you love is going through something tragic and crisis oriented like this. And I feel like as humans, sometimes we just say what it is that everybody says and we're not listening to what we're actually saying. And to be the human that's in the crisis, it's really, really, uh, it's a lot only adds to the trauma. So really for sure. Well, the first thing we have here is that you don't say, I don't know how you do it. I hate that. And that instead... I just got goosebumps because I got irritated. Yeah, you were like, I'm going to hit you right now, Lori. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But instead, you could say, I see you. Yes. I'm holding space for you. Yes. You can validate that what's going on is horrific, you know, and horrible. Because of the documentation I had done, I had let all my friends and family know on a public post, which I have followers on there too, I don't know. And some of them commented and said dumb stuff to me just from the get go. And I, I don't know, but when you're in a situation like that, you don't give a shit. Yeah. Come at me, bro. Things are very visceral. Yeah. Why do I need to be nice to you right now? You're not being nice to me and I'm dealing with some crazy stuff and you can go away over there. So I, I did deal with some people with that and you were also forced to hold it in check at the hospital. Oh like, I feel right. like that some of your uh, ability shit. to react in those moments was, that was the only place you could You're react. Like, come at me. You know, yeah. like, yeah. yeah. And um, I'm, I was really grateful for my best friend. One of the things she did for me was there that one of those days that they were yelling for that chaplain because they thought he was about to go. I just said, something's happening. And she says, okay. 
And she just, she was in the middle of work and she works for herself, but it's not always that flexible. She just so happened to be able to drive an hour and a half from her house, sit on the roof of the parking garage where I could see her car from the ICU windows. And just knowing that she was there was the most peaceful like thing because I don't take comfort in everyone's willingness to try to comfort me in these situations, especially Mm -hmm. when they say stuff like that. But you don't know me and I don't really know you. And that's sweet that you want to support me in that way. But it's not actually comforting because I don't feel safe with you. I don't know you. Um, And so just having her there, she really did come up and say, I see you and you're doing, you're doing a good job. And she was encouraging to me and she just, she just sat there and I never even got to go out and see her. Well, and knowing that she couldn't come in, it was still important for her yeah, yeah to like be COVID. present for oh, you man, if that's it amazing wasn't for that yeah. then she would have already been in there and hugging of on course me, but yeah. i i was so grateful that she could just be mm-hmm. and that was one of the that was something that clicked in my brain where if i'm in a situation with somebody i love like this and there's nothing i can do to help it or fix it or to do anything i i'm i'm helpless um it's it's so important for me to to show up, be supportive, even if I can't even like, it's just, that was the most precious thing to me. It helped me really know what people do need and maybe different people need different things. But that was something that in a situation where we couldn't control who could come and go and I couldn't really get what I needed. I was very much feeling very much by myself about a lot of it trapped in that prison. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever been to children's ICU, but it sounds like the depths of hell. (laughs) Yeah. And so I'm not only being traumatized with my own kid, but I'm listening to a lot of trauma going on everywhere. There's yeah. There's a lot of scary stuff going on. Yeah. And like, I don't know how some of these nurses do it. They blow me away. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I'm sure it stores in other ways and haunts them later, but it's different when it's your loved one. And yeah, I had people say weird stuff to me. Um, We've also got, um, don't say, or don't be nosy and ask too many questions, you yes. know, and like needing that this need to want to know the play-by-play of everything that's happened is a really selfish request from somebody who's not like actively involved. If somebody says something like, or posts something, this is what's going on. Or, you know, when someone passes away, the first thing people do is what happened. Right. Guess what? If they want you to know, they'll tell you. Sure. And it's none of your business. And it it is like we have a natural human curiosity because we all know we're going to die one day. And so that's our first knee-jerk reaction is, oh, my God, what happened? But in these times when you're really just trying to support somebody, you don't worry about all these stupid details. Um, you just need to let them know you're, I'm here and, and, and you can come to me if you want and I support you and I'm not someone who's going to overtly, you know, go after and pursue things or get back to people. So just not incessantly, there were people that were texting me and texting me over and over and over again. What happened? What happened? And I'm just like, do I give a crap about And that's more stress. Like you're already dealing with enough. And I know that they care and they want to help, but you're right. The selfishness outweighs the help. It's not helpful anymore. It's more stress and more annoyance because I have to sit here and explain myself to 14 different people or they're going to continue to bother me. Right. And nobody who's grieving like that or dealing with scary stuff uh, should have to answer to you. And what you needed to be doing was be present for Noah, you know, like, right. yeah, but what helped. And I loved, cause I love this like twofold conversation, you know, like that, that wasn't helpful, but what was helpful were the people who went by and took care of your pets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The people who helped you with childcare with your other two children. Yep. The people that wanted to get gift cards. So the family didn't have to worry about what we were going to cook for dinner tonight, you know, yeah. or to put the groceries in the fridge and do like Starbucks gift cards. The, so yeah. I the coffee, like obviously, because 
what happens when you're in that crisis and your whole focus goes into taking care of Noah is that then there's all these other just basic survival things that you can't I don't even address in, right now. Yeah. You know, like your yeah. everything is focused on getting him through this. And so if you have people in your lives that are going through big crisis like this, think about just the stuff that you had to do today to keep your life afloat. Those are the things that they can't keep up with right now because they're busy putting their everything into keeping their child alive, right? Pretty much. And that's the stuff that you can do to help. And you don't need to be asked. You don't have to ask permission. You know, like, just think about those things and try and provide those things for the people that are going through it. And and make sure that, you know, it's, it's... not annoying, <laughs> yeah. you know, and there's people that really want to help and I, I couldn't really let them, uh, just because of whatever it is like logistics wise, but the people I felt part of me wanted to push everyone away and be like, hold on a minute, go away. Even though there were tr- a lot of them were very genuine and helpful. And I thought how selfish am I to shun away someone's help and to not allow them to, I guess, bless me. Mm-hmm. Like they're wanting to do that. And I could tell some of them weren't selfish at all. They really just, this is what I want to do. And those are the people I really appreciated. The ones that text me and want to call and do all this. Well, what happened? Da, 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 da. You know what? If I'll let you know. And if I don't, it's none of your business. And I don't owe that to you, but they would kind of behave like as if I did. And I, I keep your, keep your space, but be present when you can be just, Hey, I'm checking in. Do you need anything? Mm -hmm. Don't assume what they need. Um, and yeah, the basic everyday stuff, it seems so simple, but we, people would send care packages to Noah and I, that is what made me happy is like, I'm, you know, help my baby, like screw me, whatever. I'll be okay. My baby. And so people were sending things to him and he couldn't read. And that's really hard. Um, it was really sweet. His school, uh, everybody in his grade wrote him a note and a handwritten note. And I have, I still have all them in a stack of them. Some of them I read to him and they really depressed him. Mm-hmm. And some of them were written by middle schoolers and they say stuff like, please don't die. <gasps> those are things that when he can read again and he's in a place where he wants to I'll remind him they're there and those are that's your support and those are the kind of things like he what would that have been helpful in the moment no but in retrospect later because of his improvement he was able like it it doesn't hurt so bad but mm-hmm. like say he passed away and as a mother reading that letter if he had died that kind of stuff would really made me so much more sad mm-hmm. and so they're middle schoolers you should expect that out of them the rest of us have grown up and we don't do stuff like common that. sense is a you big hope yeah it is but so many adults don't have that common sense and they do stuff exactly like that and that's where we have to grow into that better version of ourselves and how can i be better do better and and make sure that i'm not causing any additional harm to this person and it's all about thoughtfulness and being able to be in tune with who you are and that helps you to be able to help other people correctly. Well, and we have talked about this in other aspects, but I feel like it's so important in these places because what I know of people who are like 
nosy or that might say something that does more harm than they realize Mm -hmm. is I get that that's not like consciously intentional for them. So if you don't know what to say and you're not sure if what you're about to do is going to cause more harm, the best thing you can do is say nothing and just send your love and your good energy without saying a word that that and people feel like that's so not effective Mm-hmm. It is the most effective thing you can yes. do is just offer support and love yep. on a energetic level and send it their way because yeah. that is, you can't hurt with that. No. You know, like if you don't know what to say, say nothing Yep, and just send love, you know, like, and yeah. that that is powerful and enough. It warmed my heart how many people were saying things like, I'm holding space for you. Yeah. I'm praying for yes. you. And I don't have to agree with whatever it is they do, but knowing that their heart is wanting to talk to mine mm-hmm. and heal it is beautiful. I don't even care what it is you talk to or, or however you do, whatever you do, just knowing that your intentions are that I, this is better mm-hmm. and that it's not bad anymore and it right. gets better. And that it always filled my heart with joy. Some of them were strangers and some of them, you know, were people I knew and just, it, as a whole collective, I mean, there would, I would post about stuff and there would be several hundred comments. Um, I had a, a TikTok I made of Noah that kind of showed the first 30 days of where he's been and where he's going. And I posted it when we were still in the hospital. It got over a million views on TikTok and it has 137,000 likes on it. And so many people said horrible things that were really awful, but so many of them still follow his story, still say, how is he? Mm -hmm. What is he? That kind of stuff is beautiful. They don't know me. They don't know him, but they, they either have their, a lot of people would say my grandma had a stroke or my little brother just had a stroke or this just happened or I had a stroke and I'm doing better. Like it gets that encouragement hearing other people who've been through it say, you've got this always gave me a glimmer of hope because it was different than these other people that just wanted to talk out of their ass or say horrible things, or it was just very generalized, nothing special, but you know, prayers Mm -hmm. or whatever. Like those are all over here, but these people that take the time just to say something encouraging or to send those intentions or vibes out to me was I I take them all. I take them. And the rest of them are going to sit over here where they belong. And I did respond to a few of them. (laughs) Um, Clearly. Like I may or may not I may may have made like six videos about (laughs) how they can go fuck themselves (laughs) because I, that's my baby. And I usually, I'm used to people saying stuff to me about what I do and whatever about me and my body and my choices and that's fine. I don't, but it's my kid and I, I don't feel like I have to defend it all all the time, but some of those things they said were just absolutely terrible. And it, in my mind that has expanded, this is one of those things that if I hadn't grown into who I was, Mm -hmm. it would have messed me up or made me into a different person or handle it differently. Cause now I can be like, Oh, well, you're, you're just a piece of shit and you're going to go over here now. I do. I am going to respond, but then I'm done. We have talked about on this show several times how for some reason saying something through a screen to somebody makes you a bad assholes yeah. really ballsy all of a sudden, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, there's people that wouldn't look at me in the eyeballs at the gas station who right, are just going to rip me that feel entitled yeah. to be really nasty, yeah, you know, yeah. like on social media. followers. They're nobody. That is 
a episode, like maybe the three of us should come together and just talk about, you know, like what it is that um, creates that boldness of being able to do harm through a screen. Insecurity. Because what I know of people that do that is, like you said, if they were looking at you in the face, would never have the gall to Uh say the things that they say on the internet. When I saw those TikToks and that... I mean, I remember one in particular, like the one giving you shit about documenting the ambulance ride yep. and like, why would you do that? About that? Yeah. Um, and then like what may have been the cause or not the cause. And you were like, I never said it. What? Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, the I know what series of videos you're talking mm-hmm. about. And I just thought to myself, like, I love TikTok. I'm on there all the time. <laughs> yeah, but if I see anything on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram that I don't agree with I shut I up keeps you just move on rolling yeah that's what grown-ups do like just some of them just can't even why can't it. you just oh I disagree with that next I'm moving on keep, like yeah know, like, affects, I don't understand doesn't affect me right like, yeah it's strange but that people feel whatever the need to get big giant balls and come in my face and say weird shit to me especially a grieving mother right yeah, in right. a situation like, where you're already going through me, so much like, like who t- right like who does that why are you, are you why are you proud of this you defend it to the death too they say just horrible things and they're like I'm a great person and people like, get fired you? for shit like that yeah yeah and like you should be you're awful like, <laughs> yeah it's an interesting phenomenon it that really we're all living it. with where that's concerned all of that to say though none of it holds a candle to how beautiful i feel like this whole thread of the story has been like it was a tragic awful thing yeah you have alchemized this tragic, awful thing with Noah into something that's really inspiring and beautiful. And we Thank wanted you. to make yes. sure that I'm you got an opportunity to share his story and for our viewers and listeners to be able to hear directly from you, you know, like yeah. how it was, how it's going, where he's at, you know, yeah. and that it's ultimately, like I said, just a really hopeful, beautiful piece. I can't wait for him to be doing more and more and more. And mm-hmm. then that his story is never going to be complete until yeah. he's gone, but this is a different chapter and I can't, I, I don't want to squander time with my kids ever, especially stuff like this, but I'm so excited to see where he goes. Yeah. You know, and you, if you have kids, you, you think about it you hold them and you're like, Oh, I wonder who you're going to be with. I wonder what you're going to be like. I wonder how you're going to dress. How are you going <laughs> to talk? You know, if, I remember yeah. being pregnant and thinking, who is this person I'm, <laughs> I have in me and like, what is he going to do? And how is he going to be? And then when you start going through life, you kind of go, oh, and a lot of times we take those things for granted and we don't, we forget the thoughts we had at the beginning and we're still in the toddler phase of this part of his life. Do it again. And I'm Uh, getting to know him again and he's Mm -hmm. getting to know him again. And we're both very different now. And I'm just so grateful that he's still here. It's very strange to mourn someone who's still alive Mm -hmm. because some of the photos I had taken, I had just photographed him a couple weeks before this happened with a friend. His friend came into town and they'd been friends since they were five. And so I did some pictures with them and it was, that's the last photo shoot I did of him. And I don't know if you ever saw it. It's the one where his, his Afro is huge. I love it. The flowers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Uh I was just playing and I was making art and it wasn't for any reason other than we're just 
farting around town mm-hmm. making some stuff and he didn't really he was kind of like oh i guess so okay but he is a tender soul so he may be this gigantic amazing brown man but he really like he i was like can i put some of these fake flowers in your fro and i'm putting them in there and he's like okay mom and i'm like stop looking at me like you're mad about this and just and he did he took some really beautiful photos and i didn't know they were about to shave all that off right i didn't yeah. know that he wasn't going to be able to stand up and hug me for 6 months yeah you know and uh you know, it's strange to have someone be so completely normal whatever normal is um and be so different and oh man like the first time he actually stood up in therapy I, I went over there and I hugged him I'm like mm. oh, baby. <laughs> I haven't seen him stand in yeah. months and it's stuff like that that you don't think about until it's kind of already happened mm. and that's it all just goes back into why I do what I do with photos and, mm. and photography and documentation is that I I didn't expect this I could have never I could write a novel about how like a horror novel novel (laughs) about the last six months of my life and it would sound like I made it up and there's even more just craziness but you don't know what's going to happen and these things that seem so simple are really big later Mm -hmm. and um, a big part of why I love the photography aspect is that you get to cherish those things you know Um, moms with small children Yet that little voice is not going to sound like that. You're going to, you're going to, they're going to be 18 and you're going to go, oh my God, I remember when they used to call it Chick-a-Lay, <laughs> you know, or he used to you're, ask me, this kid wanted to go to Central Market to go grocery shopping. That's like the bougiest <laughs> place. And he go, I'm going to single market <laughs> and I'll never forget it, yeah. you know? Yeah. And now we're having new first words. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck you. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's a little different, yeah. but same yeah, idea. Like, I'm, I'm still so proud of that. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm one of those moms that cusses all the time not Adam, but in general around, I don't shield them from it. It's not going anywhere. I really think that we should normalize cursing in a professional setting. (laughs) Sometimes there's not a replacement word, (laughs) Um, but I'm very proud of him and how far he's come. And Mm. he's just going to keep on keeping on and I'm going to keep on keeping on. And there's days where I, I have sorrow and I have depression and I have those questions of why and why us and why me and why and why and why. And I'm not going to really get the answer to that. And if I do, it might not be for a while. Mm -hmm. And and that's a part of that going through life where you have to, okay, I don't understand this, but I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. I have to. And the only alternative is failure or demise in some way. And I can't, I don't know that if I had gone through this stroke myself, that I would be as positive as him. I, I've I always got in trouble in school for talking too much. I'd get sit in the hall and stuff. So can you imagine them taking my voice away? I'd probably, I'd his self-control blew me away in the hospital. There were times that people were doing and saying stuff to him and he could not respond either physically or with his words. And I could see it on his face. And I, I just, I was like, I can't even imagine what it's like to have a completely normal vocabulary. Like I found, um, one of his math papers in his closet yesterday. He, like I said, he was very not 
into school, but he had homework and he would do it every now and then. Mm-hmm. And it was, you could see where he had written out all of his work and it's middle school, like geometry. And it made me bummed. I, Cause I was like, he can't do this now. Not only can he not do the math right now, but he can't write it. He like, he, this is all foreign to him where he was doing this work and getting it. No problem. And I picked it up and I was like, man, he wrote all this. And it's so simple, but you know, you, you just really take stuff for granted. Relearning to do everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's baby steps and he's already, like I said, defied so many odds. He, the big feet ain't doing baby (laughs) steps. He's doing massive steps. He is just, he really is. And I, because of the documentation, he can look back and say, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. I couldn't even do this. And it wasn't that long. And I'll say, and you've been working really hard. Mm -hmm. It's almost like that. We got to keep going to the gym and it's quite literally the gym. He yeah. goes to therapy every single week, twice a week for physical and occupational therapy. Occupational really just helps move that right arm again. Um, it's normally for people to help learn how to tie their shoes or like find a new way to do something. Because a lot of people, like they told us, it would never come back. A lot of people, it doesn't. And so they have to yeah. figure out how to do their new life. And um, so he does that, but he is able to do more than he's was ever supposed to be. I remember when they told me the neurosurgeon, he's like, he's going to have to learn everything with his left hand. He'll never move the right side. And I really just kind of looked at him and was like, okay, mm-hmm. like, uh, whatever, dude. It didn't matter to me. It didn't phase me. I didn't accept it. And not in in a way where I was saying, oh, no, I hate that. I don't like that. That's not true. That's not true. Because sometimes it's fact. And I could accept the fact. I just didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's ever gotten that kind of prognosis and overcome it has just been, has said exactly what you just said. Like, yeah. okay, I hear you. And I don't believe that to and, be true. You know, that like, is, that yeah. is a big part of your healing. Yeah. Um, that wonderful yoga instructor that was in the, in the hospital that spoke to Noah, she had had something happen with her body where she couldn't move the right side. And she said for a year I was going in every day and trying to grab something with that hand after a year I could. Mm -hmm. And they told her and put in her charts that she was permanently disabled and that she could never do this Mm -hmm. and she could never do that. And she was walking around helping Noah. I would have never known that she had been through something like that. And it was her and her experience that was able to feed Noah, feed his heart, feed his mind with encouragement. And she means it. And I know she means it because she's done it. I'm so excited to see how he'll keep inspiring people in the future, you know, like that. He has no idea. Yeah. Like it's made. It's going to be amazing. I don't think he, I watched that kid and I just, I mean, my mouth is to the floor. Like everything you post about him is incredible. He's amazing. He's just, he doesn't even, he sends me TikToks all day. That's what he's doing right now. (laughs) He he can't say anything, but he'll send me stuff, and he likes to send me stuff that I go ew to, just all that kind of stuff on TikTok. He sent me one yesterday of this guy eating on his belly and just rubbing his belly, and I'm like, sure. why did you send me this? <laughs> so he's still Noah. He gets it, yeah. One of the things that happened in the day of the stroke, he had sent me two or three TikToks, and I hadn't opened them, and it took me two months to open them because I was afraid. I, like that was the last thing he ever communicated with me mm-hmm. before this happened, and I was like, well, and he sent me real weird and semi-offensive stuff (laughs) sometimes and so just to get a rise out of me so I was really like oh my god what did he send and I didn't want to look at it I was not in a place and then later I did and 
podcast. One of them was about body positivity. Okay. It was about rocking what you have and wearing what you want. And it was this beautiful black woman. And he he knew I would like that. And mm-hmm. he he I have trained him well. No doubt. Um, he's going to be quite the gentleman. <laughs> and when we add the wisdom to it, he's going to be something else. Shoot, girl. I'm so grateful. Well, we're him. keeping tabs on this whole journey. And yeah. you uh, send, one. yeah, send our love uh, over to your big kid and uh yeah you guys just cherish every freaking moment squeeze your babies Mm -hmm. know that like no matter what happens you're never going to get this day and this time back again you know like we got to really focus on not taking life for granted um we so appreciate you coming today and sharing the story share this you know it's it's important information it puts a perspective on things that are different and i'm really grateful for your space of course you're a permanent (laughs) fixture around here anymore there'll be other episodes we'll talk about other things (laughs) like yeah no doubt to talk about (laughs) but if you guys are inspired by the story or you know somebody who's gone through something traumatic like a stroke or an injury and they're trying to like work their way through the process Definitely share this podcast with them. Reach out to Charlotte on social media. Send your love and good vibes over to Noah. We would so appreciate it. You guys have a badass day and we'll see you next time. Bye.